Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about productized services. Yeah, I've got productized services on the mind lately. Yeah, how how come? Uh, They play a big part in my forthcoming or upcoming book because it's... it's, there are many examples of productized services that are really applicable to my kind of people uh, as a way to ditch hourly billing. So mm-hmm. it's like a path out of hourly billing for people who are used to delivering services by the hour uh, and, and aren't ready to make the leap to um, value pricing in a really highly leveraged way or they're not ready, they don't have enough of an audience to support their lifestyle with product. So a transition path can be going through productized services. It's like the it's like the easiest thing to create if you're used to billing yourself by the hour for some kind of service. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot, some coming up with lots and lots of examples for the book, coming across lots of examples. Um, since I've been talking about it, I got some pushback from friend of the show, Blair Enns, who was like, productized services are death. And I was like, ooh, let's talk about that because we agree on 90% yeah. of things. So where, where's the disconnect? And uh, recently did an episode on ditching hourly with him about that, where we talked for an hour or more and, and came down to the the core, it depends, that does kind of <laughs> align our two worldviews, where he deals specifically with like ad agencies and creative firms, where he's like, it, it it's death. It's like, it will destroy the firm if you do that for a variety of reasons, which he could support. But just a caveat. And when you say firms for him, it means multiple employees, not just a solo yeah, creative firm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I think it's normal for him to be dealing with a company that has like 50 employees or, yeah. or more. I, I don't really know, but that's my impression. Um, and that you've got enough people. And I know from the conversation that, you know, if you have enough people out there trying to sell a productized service, then you start to get into this uh, desire, you know, every, you know, we have a hammer, so everything looks like a nail. They're trying to shoehorn client mm-hmm. issues or client desires into these existing suite of services. Uh, you leave money on the table. You can't, you certainly can leave money on the table with productized services. And it creates kind of a schism inside of the organization where there's a bunch of creative people who can't, who, you can't optimize that process. It's like, it's a, it's a wasteful process. Creativity is a wasteful process. You have to go down lots of dark alleys, blind alleys and dead ends. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't know, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You can't make it more efficient. You know what I mean? It's like, it's going to be. Uh, you put yourself out there and hope the muse appears or whatever. It's going to be messy, right? Yeah. And so if you have a if you have teams that are this messy kind of kind of approach, and then you've got these other teams that are super like engineer style that want to make everything efficient and easy and smooth, streamlined, all of that stuff. It's like no, you can't streamline it. It's like that actually takes the magic out of it, mm-hmm. you know. And yep. And as an engineering mindset, I've kind of heard this argument in the past and been like, well, that's just an excuse, <laughs> you know? So what you're saying is you can't demon- you can't deliver results <laughs> on a reliable time frame. Well, there's another piece, though, it, it, in his world, I think, is that a lot of times you have salespeople. And mm-hmm. so it's easier to sell things you can draw a box around. And it's yeah. harder to sell things that creative people are pouring their energy into. And for a linear thinking salesperson, it is really scary to sell creative products, uh, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say products, creative outcomes, creative Mm -hmm. services, because you never know going in what the outcome is going to be. 
yeah right so which also makes it difficult to value price so yeah the right so that the, you have to price the client you price the problem and then you you bring your creativity to bear anyway i i don't disagree with them after after the conversation i i see that there's a fundamental dna problem with 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 real really um rigid productization in a creative firm although we did agree we did agree to at least two two or three exceptions depending on how you look at it for his type of client so first of all a diagnostic he said that's fine that that's Mm -hmm. fine because that's just a doorway into the real work it's almost like getting paid to write a proposal so he was like yep that's fine um having uh, another one that he agreed with is fine for his people is 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 my entry level one for everyone which is having a some sort of paid consult so it's a, a scenario where someone comes along they believe that they need to talk to you in a really like a working session uh for you know maybe half an hour maybe up to three hours depending on the nature of the the vertical like whatever service Mm -hmm. that you do but it's some kind of strategy phone call or some kind of design phone call or some kind of positioning phone call something like that where they pay it's just like uh it it's expensive amount of money for a short amount of time and the outcome is going to be clarity and Mm -hmm. and that's it so you could call it a clarity consultation or a strategy call or whatever and he was like that's okay too but it needs to be priced really really high such that people aren't like, okay, I'm going to buy one of those every Wednesday at nine and you're <laughs> going to jump on the call. And it's, it's not a weekly thing. It's like a one-off. Right. And, uh, and he was like, that's okay. So basically uh, paid call is okay with him and is the first thing I have people do. Uh, road mapping or diagnostic or whatever is also okay. And that's the second thing I have people do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some overlap there, but when it comes to any kind of implementation style stuff or something that's going to be a little bit more longer form, you know, it's, it's a project. He would be like, do not, you no, do not productize that. And you had before the call, you had some, some interesting examples. I don't know if you can talk about them where, uh, when you were in big consulting, how, you know, like be a regulatory change. And so internally you would know, you know, that yeah. was going to be interesting. Yeah, well, what would happen in in that world is, you know, laws would change. And so every client had to do something. And it might be something like, you know, 5,500 forms for pension plans. Everybody has to do that. And they would just typically include that in a suite of services. But if there was something new, there was usually a process. They would never call it a product or productized service. You'd never hear those words. But they would come up with some kind of a flat price for that and say, oh, okay, let's just offer this to everybody we know for 5000 Well, we never got out of bed for 5000 but 20000 <laughs> 50000 100000 whatever it was. So we had a pretty close to flat price because it was another way to get in the door and something mm-hmm. really basic that had to be done anyway. And mm-hmm. it was usually logical for our firm to do it based on the data that we had or the relationship we had, but sometimes it was a way into somebody we didn't know yet. Just, you mm-hmm. know, a little way to get your nose under the tent. <laughs> so that's a funny visual. Um, so when you say flat, 
price, do you mean that it was the same for all clients or do you mean that it was fixed? No. It was not the same. Okay, so. No, usually what would happen, and again, it was really loosey-goosey. There was no like one process, but what would happen is, you know, this law would go through and, and whoever was the practice leader for that would figure out what needed to be done to get this, whether it was data or a report or whatever, back to the client. And they would look at it and say, okay, so the first one we did, and, and when they look at price, it's how many hours at what rate, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the cost in quotes. So they would look at that and then say, okay, so we could do one and it costs us $20,000 to do it. So we could price it at twenty which means we keep people busy and everything's good, or we could price it at 30. But but our starting point is going to be 20 to 25 because everybody always adds wiggle room on the upper end. Mm-hmm. And then, so if they came to me and said, gee, Rochelle, we'd like to talk to your clients about this. And I'd say, okay, what does that look like? And they would tell me, and, and what's it going to cost? So I know an order of magnitude. And they would say, well, it's a minimum of 20 to 25, but it could go up depending on these factors, but we would set a, a flat price. And I'd say, okay, give me some idea about what it is. And if it made sense, I would introduce that idea or the person, whatever, to the client. Mm-hmm. But that was the only time that we had anything like flat fees. And even when you did that, we still track the hours. So if I did that and the people working on the project, so I went to the client and said, this is going to be $25,000. They said, great. And it cost, again, in quotes, people times hours times hourly rate, it costs 30000 I would still have to write off the difference. And right. um, in case you haven't figured that out, write-offs were bad. <laughs> it was part of what we were judged on was our write-offs. So yeah, so it was, it was a messy way to approach productized services, but it, it was done fairly often. Hmm. So just to make sure that like, just to make sure not to confuse the audience, um, what about that felt productized to you? That was as close as I ever got to, this is what we're going to do, and it's the same for everybody, and this is the price. Okay. but well, Versus but, everything was custom. But wait, you, so the, the activities were going to be the same for everyone, but the price wasn't the same for everyone. Well, the activities, yes, but the... Uh, the cost of those activities. So for example, if you had a really big organization, there might be more work that had to be done, mm-hmm. more hours on the same thing. So doing mm-hmm. X would take more time for a bigger company than it did for a smaller company. That mm-hmm. was fairly frequent when okay. when you're dealing with regulatory kinds of stuff. It's just more more, complex, more complex the bigger the company. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I like your framing of that, that that's the closest you've ever gotten. Yeah, so it's from a not a productized service. Yeah, it's, it's really not, right? So it's 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 just like there's this trigger event that's going to affect a bunch of our clients, and there's sort of an order of magnitude amount of work that's going to go into it in general for companies of this size. So, and we'll give fixed prices for it because easier to make a, a buying decision for the buyer, and you know, and maybe it's a foot in the door for bigger engagement or whatever. Okay. Um, cool. So I, so for, for just to summarize, summarize the Blair episode, which by the way, before the show, you were saying you agreed with his stance, right? I do. Yeah. I do. And I do too, after talking to him about it, uh, because of the inherent tension between the different constituencies inside of the company is just going to be an, it's just a bad kind of friction. So, well, and if you want to grow a creative agency, you don't grow it by saying, Hey, we're going to keep you billable on stuff you hate to do. <laughs> 
right? I mean, right. nobody wants that. So yeah, it's it's yeah, it's the road to mediocrity ultimately. And that's what he said too, right? Yeah, you're just commoditizing yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, okay, so that's fair. And I and and my counterpoint to that was that although I think. I think probably everybody listening, everybody I work with is creative on on some level. They're, you know, even mm-hmm. a super duper engineering mindset software developer is still doing, using creativity to code, you know, uh, coming up with creative solutions and stuff. But that's, to me, that's different than like, like the capital C creatives, you know, like that are, that are really, um, that have to be super duper innovative all the time mm-hmm. where sort of like most of the folks, not most, I'm going to say 50% of the folks I work with have basically an engineering mindset. They love automation. They love creating, you know, frictionless processes. They are lazy in a good way. Meaning like if a computer can do this, I don't need to do it. Mm-hmm. So like what, you know, I don't need to put in extra labor to justify uh, my fees or whatever. If I can get it done just as well or better with a tiny shell script, then I'm going to run a tiny shell script and it doesn't need to affect my pricing. Right. So uh, for folks who really love that kind of stuff and want to make like a little uh, transition away from from high touch sales, high touch services into low touch sales, high touch service, then you can come up with these different kinds of productized services that you can optimize more and more over time. You can attract more eyeballs to over time. You can't because they're easier to understand. They're easier to talk about. So the awareness will spread more easily. Uh, Word of mouth will spread more easily. And you can increase the price so over time because you're delivering better and better results to bigger and bigger clients. Um, at a certain point, you can make these things really profitable, but not insanely profitable unless you, you know, like you could create a, a very profitable. Well, maybe I'll take that back. I guess I, I guess yeah, that's not I necessary. I can think of one situation where I have a client that could potentially create an insanely profitable thing like this. Yeah, and Blair even said, like when we talked on the phone, he he has a, a colleague who's going to do like 1.5 million this year purely from productized services and and no no employees. So you can get you can get up there. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you can get up there. So yeah. uh, so what's the point? So I think it boils down to what kind of business do you really want to make? Like, are you going to be in the in like a ad agency, creative agency? then there's probably some pricing models that make more sense for that because of the personalities involved. If you're going to have like a, a solo software consultancy of some kind and you, you are really into efficiency and automation, then productized services is a great next step because you can mm-hmm. automate so much of the sales process. All, you can automate so much of the marketing and sales process and even lots of the delivery. And if you're giving people a price upfront for the outcome, and you're attracting the right kind of pe- you know the kind of people who should be mm-hmm. buying it that are right. going to get they're going to get a positive ROI maybe a enormously positive ROI from uh, purchasing that so you can you can do it's a great it's a it takes away a lot of the what what people what technicians consider the, the annoying administrative bs type stuff of running a business it really minimizes that stuff. So I think it's a great yeah. fit for like a soloist who doesn't can't just assign stuff to other people and and just wants to focus on doing good work and decrease the amount of time they have to spend on marketing and sales um, and service more customers overall because so, they're going to be always these are t- essentially time boxed. 
Well, yeah, and I think we need to not underestimate the power of making your marketing and selling simpler. Because it's not just simpler because your client can come to your website and look at it and they can see the dimensions of the box. You know, Mm -hmm. like a website in a day would be a classic example of that, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get a website in a box. But when you, what it does for you as the practitioner is it makes you, it forces you to get really, really tight on what you're going to deliver and how and what Mm -hmm. those outcomes are likely to be. And -hmm. what that does for you when you're selling is it streamlines everything. You're not trying to say it 50 different ways to 50 different people. It's just there's so much efficiency around it, but in a in a marketing and selling sense, it's one of the reasons why I love it for soloists. Yeah, right, because you you haven't got a big team of people go you know banging on doors or whatever, and and a lot of times people who are soloists are in that mindset or that mode where they I just want to do the work. I love doing the work. That's why I went solo. I didn't want to be going to all these meetings in my corporate job. I went solo so that I could just do the work and focus on that. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, but you need leads too. So. Um, True. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it makes it it makes it uh, even if even if your overall positioning for your business, your soloist, whatever Rails uh, expert it is, you could you can position the a productized service as for a very specific kind of buyer and and kind of test drive a, a really laser focused positioning statement on the productized service, not your overall business. So like maybe you're yes. a Rails developer for hire, but you've got this SaaS starter kit that's $8,000 and someone comes along Love and says, that. yes, right? It's a good idea. Yes. Actually, it's a good idea. Love that. I think that's perfect. Yeah. So, and there's, there is one called, I think it's called bullet train, which is, it's not really a service. It's like a, it's just starter files if I understand it, but, but the, con- but you could have like a SaaS starter service and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. eight grand and you'll end up with. A secure login, e-commerce, uh, blah, 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 social logins. You'll have an admin dashboard, you know, all this other stuff. And then it's kind of like <clears throat> you can imagine, you know, being able to, you know, like a good Rails developer could probably set up a rake task that built that with the press of a button. So, you know, eight grand, press a button. Here you go. Let me walk you through <laughs> it. Here's how you work it. And now if you want to build out individual features, we can have a either the value price conversation around that, or you can say, you know, uh, my monthly rate is $30,000 a month and you agree at the beginning of each month, what's going to get accomplished in that month. And you just make sure that both parties are happy every month. Mm -hmm. So you could do that, you know, sort of, I wouldn't call that a, it's a style of retainer. It's not advisory, but, uh, yeah. So, um, I I just think that's a great approach for people. Uh, I guess what I was talking about there is you can position the, the particular offering while still leaving, uh, if you're if you're kind of scared of of positioning your overall business in a laser focused way, you could just have the one offering, and so productized services allow you to do that. And if you're attracting the right kinds of buyers, the more specific you are about the kind of buyers, the easier it is to attract the right buyers. And mm-hmm. then once you do attract the right buyers, the easier it is to deliver positive ROI, and then find out from testimonials retroactively, like how much it was really worth to them. And then you can raise the price so you're leaving less money on the table every time. Exactly. Yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah, I really like it as a, as a, as a test drive. And mm-hmm. um, the other thing that is powerful is it's amazing how tight people can get 
on the benefits of what they're doing for the client when you focus on just one thing. It's not the 27 things you could do mm-hmm. for all of your ideal clients, but it's this one thing and what that one thing does for you. And the power of focus cannot be underestimated. Yeah, yep. So one of the things that in the wake of that episode, um, you know, some people reached out and were like, you know, it would be great was, is more examples because um, they want to see how other people are doing it to kind of be inspired by uh, by what's working or what appears to be working. Mm-hmm. And the, the other the other thing that's really hard, this is this is a fairly common question I'll get, especially from software developers. It's like it's like. They're like, but every project is so different. I can't imagine productizing. Can you show me some examples? And the problem with software developers is the examples don't look like software developers with a productized service. They look like a completely different business, even though it's a software developer with a productized Ah, service. Interesting. So like a SaaS in the first place is a productized service in a way. I mean, it's a specific kind, but you know, if you could create a SaaS, it's, you'd call it a product, um, but in a sense, it, it, there's some service aspect to it, right? Customer service and support and all of that, mm-hmm. and backups and uh, uptime guarantee and so forth. Like there's service aspects to it. Um, but it, a, a lot of times it's hard to find an example of a software developer creating a productized service because they'll just create a product. They'll jump straight to that. And it either fails and no one knows about it or it succeeds and people are just like, oh, well, Basecamp's not a productized service. And it's like, well, it used to just be a web design shop, like all the other ones, <laughs> you know. So, okay. So I was wondering if uh, if maybe we could think of a few examples to give people a little bit of inspiration or something that they could go look at to kind of see how other people are doing it. Yeah. I mean, I have some. They're not they're not software people. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> I think we have well, lots of different examples. It'd be fine. Well, yeah. I was thinking of actually two. And, and uh, one was on the show, April Dunford. And one of the things April does really, really well, in fact, I think we talked to her about it on the episode, is the way she tied her book, which is a a product, to her website and her services. And she delivers her strategy in a productized way. I don't, I mean, I think she has a custom option, but I, I certainly got the impression that she's able to do most of what she does within the parameters that she's designed. And uh, what she did a great job of in the book, without being salesy about it, is she explained what she does, and she had a couple of links in the book, and it was very, it was very low key, but it was very her. It was in her voice, and I, I just thought the execution was really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I in agree. that, in a similar but different space, um, Emily O'Meara has yes. created um, a productized service that for uh, technology people. And it's yep. very clear. If you go to her website, you can see what the options are and what the deliverables are. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, she services uh, Kubernetes-based startups, so or, or like startups based on open technology. Yeah, very cool. Um, great examples. Um, and you can just go to, yeah, go to those websites. Go to April's website. Um, it's com. Yep. I believe. And, and Emily, O-M-I-E-R.com. Yep. And and uh, guess who built Emily's website? Who? <laughs> a, a knapsack. But we always talk about knapsack. <laughs> so I want to talk about... <laughs> you want, want to talk, talk about, about some, my, my, my people others. that are yes. doing... Or do, do you have some that do website in a day also? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. So let's give some equal time here. So um, there's a, a website called Week of the Website. 
and the the you know this is a web design firm who is presenting themselves in a productized way and the headline on the site is your amazing new website built in just five days and then how it works and you can just go down mm. it just explains like this is how it would work how is it possible here's what you do on day four here's what you do on day five and you know go right yeah. right down the list yeah so i used to be in a slack room with kelsey and it's uh yeah, it's this has been going on this has been a a working thing for at least six years so this is not like some brand new thing i just dug up um these folks have been doing this for a long time and I, you know i haven't talked to her in a while but it's a successful thing like it's a way to present your um expertise in 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 work it's like hands too it's not just brains but you know brains and hands in a way that you can understand that a sort of non-expert could understand of like oh okay yes this is what i want this looks beautiful i want i know i need a beautiful website this looks beautiful well, what I like about that, because I was comparing that when you mentioned it before we hit record, I was thinking, well, gee, I'd rather have website in a day than the week of the website. But then I stopped and said, but you know what? If I had a firm of people, I like the week of the website because I have multiple people that are having input into what we're doing. It's a process. I want to engage them in it. It's, it's, I w- could argue, again, it depends on the client, but I could argue that a week is is much more doable and sustainable um, for my organization. So I love both. I mean, I think they're yeah. different audiences. I agree. I, I think Knapsack is, it, I don't know this for sure, but having gone through the process and having several students go through it too, it is optimized for a soloist. Someone who can make decisions, doesn't have a committee of people to please, and can just say yes or no, and let's move on to the next decision. Uh, it, it seems like... And they do have different tiers, and we could talk about tiers and productized services. But, um, but yeah, I think Knapsack makes more sense for a solo person, and that week of the website, or you know, it, do you know any other ones that would make sense? Well, for the like- the two I was thinking of um, that are in in my social community are uh, Eleanor Mayerhofer and Sarah Moon, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. they are, are both amazing designers. I mean, their work is stunning. And they, as far as I know, they're both still offering this website in a day option. And I just love it because of its clarity. People like me love stuff like that. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, the last time I did a complete website, it was like a month. And I was like, who has a month to do this? I want to do it in a day because I've done all the pre-work. I've done the thinking about how it looks. I know what colors I want. I've had, you know, some preliminary design. So I know that I've got the the copy written, you know, let's do it in a day. It'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm in like, awe, what? frankly, of any coder who could do a website in a day. I think that's an amazing <laughs> skill. And I, you know, I'd pay a lot for that. Yeah. And they have, I, I don't know about those two. I haven't been on their websites, but, um, but you know, Week of the Website and Knapsack, they both have a really clear promise up front. It's like, you're going to get an amazing website in this time frame. And the, you know, I think Knapsack, Knapsack is very similar. It's like, um, have a website that you're proud of in just one day. And they're touching on, they're both touching a nerve that that I know a lot of people have this feeling where they're like embarrassed by their current website. It's yeah, that date, word proud. Right. That's yeah, genius. I love it. Like how, if you're embarrassed of your website, like how, how do you think that might be trickling into your behavior and your mm-hmm. actions? And, you know, you're like, well, you're, you're every time you talk to someone, it's like, 
they're interested and they want to go to your website and you make excuses and like, well, I know I'm a web designer, but my website's not that great. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, so anyway, yeah. it's the point is the point is that because the, the product, the, the service is so productized and they dealt with uh, certainly hundreds of clients, if not hundreds of clients per year, they know what what to say to attract the attention of the right kind of buyer. So it makes it easy for them to hit home runs because they're attracting a particular kind of person. It's like if you were trying to catch a particular kind of fish, you'd bring the specific bait, a whole bunch of the specific bait, instead of like, well, I don't know, I could be catching tuna or salmon. Like, that's a different boat, you know? Like, one needs a boat and one needs waders. So, like, if you decide what kind of fish you're trying to catch, you can bring the right bait. And that's one of the the beauty of of having a productized service is that it's for someone. So you, it's easy to talk about who it's for and and what their hopes, dreams, fears, and you know nightmares might be. Well, that's why I love the word proud in that example so much because it's an emotional trigger, and the definition is in the eye of your audience. What mm-hmm. makes me proud might be different than what makes you proud, and right. I just the again not. Do not underestimate the power of using emotion to identify that that final outcome of your productized service. That's it's very powerful. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I've got some other. Do you have any other examples? I've got a couple. Those are the the only ones I had off the top of my head in the five minutes we discussed it before yeah. we hit record. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple of other. I actually have a whole page on my website if people want to go to. It's what is the URL? Examples dash of dash productized dash services. So examples of productized services with dashes. Uh, but we'll link to it in the show notes. And uh, I updated it recently for TPS. So I, all of these links should be live. You know, things change on the internet. But um, uh, there are a couple of really. There actually there are a few four that have entire menus of productized services so you can see how their mm-hmm. whole product ladder looks and how they talk about it uh and what are some other ones so oh worst of all yeah okay so um pia silva at worst of all design so it's you know it's a, a design shop i think they're in brooklyn they're you know very hip and cool uh, just like everyone else in brooklyn <laughs> <laughs> they have this thing called a brand shrink and it it's like very much conforms to my definition of a productized service. So this is something that's going to be delivered 100% high touch. There's an interview and a written brief that essentially what she, what she wants to do in a brand shrink is identify, as she puts it, identify your badass business and brand opportunities and a plan to move forward. So it's basically what I would call generically a roadmap uh, around brand or positioning or um, you know high level marketing strategy type stuff and she charges basically seven thousand bucks for it price is right on the website and you can just book it it's just like click this book it and and boom and and she's got a classic model because there's a there's a thing called a brand up which is the follow-on implementation service of it well i should I, i don't know if it's literally implementation but uh yeah it's like yeah brand up anyway so she's got these this two-tier ladder where it's a brand shrink which is the roadmap and then the brand up which i'm imagining is some sort of assistance or um, implementation or physically creating yeah projects can include brand positioning and messaging logo business cards letterhead marketing materials you know so all the all the stuff you'd think a design shop would do but she's got this productized thing up front that that 
presumably is priced in a way that is uh, reasonable to the kinds of people that she's attracting and is going to be that foot in the door, nose under the tent, as you put it, <laughs> to into this surely higher ticket uh, offering. And yes, in fact, she does have prices on the website if you click through and they're in the, you know, five figures, low to mid five figures for uh, a scope, right? So, so it's mm-hmm. almost like, it's almost like in there, uh, is it three? It is three. There are three options. So it's almost like, imagine, imagine developing something like this for yourself. So you've been doing proposals for work forever and ever since you went solo, you've been, or whether you're solo or not, but since you started to go, since you went into business for yourself, you've been doing proposals and estimates and that sort of thing. And you switch into a mode, you drink the Kool-Aid and you switch into like a roadmap as a first step for people to like know what they don't know, you know, to understand like what their goals are, how they're going to measure success and all of that stuff. And you do this high level positioning thing first and it's like time boxed, there's a deliverable. It's relatively short, probably takes less than, you know, a few hours across a couple of weeks and it's priced, you know, five to $10,000, something like that. And then once you've essentially given them this roadmap, they're like, okay, now we want you to come in the car with us. We want you to help navigate along the way. We don't want to run with this ourselves. We don't want to find mm-hmm. someone else. And so you could say, okay, now I'm going to do a value price proposal. And you do this for a year where you are attracting a particular kind of client that's going to pay 10 grand for a roadmap. And then you do this proposal for them. And over the course of a year, you start to notice like, geez, I've done four of these and the proposals are kind of the same. Because you're attracting <laughs> kind of the same kind of client. Yep. yep. And then you're like, well, why don't I just take this proposal and put it on my website? And that it's and I'm not saying that's what Pia did, but that's the kind of th- that's what it looks like. Yeah. Where, and their physical proposal might have like an extra paragraph or two that describes mm-hmm. the situation of the, for the client, but the rest of it is essentially boilerplate. I'm sure it's written more interestingly than that, but mm-hmm. it's a cut and paste. Yeah. Even when I work with clients who aren't productizing um, and when we're just working on proposals, if you do like, even if you do like four or five in a year, you're picking up a lot of copy from the previous ones because you only offer particular kind of service. So it's not going to be that different from from client to client. Maybe there's five total options and you just pick three that make the most sense for this client, you know, like extra small, small, medium, large and extra large. And you pick the three adjacent ones that make the most sense for the client situation. But it's a massive amount of pickup from other proposals. And the main difference really is in the situation appraisal, which is the specifics around where the customer is, what their desired future state is, and what they believe your contribution is going to be. And then the project options are essentially the same or very similar to other ones. Uh, and then the pricing is going to be individual if you're value pricing it. It's, if the mm-hmm. company's bigger, the prices will be higher and if the impact is going to be bigger. So anyway, um, it, it can be used. So you can use these productized services as a transition into um, more bigger value-priced work because if you're doing roadmaps and the, and, and the client is really happy, they're definitely going to want a proposal from you. So if you do want to keep doing implementation work, it's a great path into higher ticket value-priced implementation work. Or you can just keep your sales and marketing real easy and take those proposals and essentially make a... a, a uh, an anonymized version and just put it on your site, which worst of all is an example of. And geez, you could, and then, you know, it's not really what this shows about, but then you could 
navigate down into uh, or take your business down into a product direction if you find yes. that you're you're getting a bigger and bigger and bigger audience and you're like geez i have like i have like you know 50,000 people on my mailing list like i should really self publish a book or a course or something so i can help mm-hmm. more people who most of them can't afford these high ticket things but i can still help them at a, a lower price point if i package this up in some product way not productized service way yeah i mean it's really a stepping stone um, to either point. And the, the beauty of it, I think, is that if you've been just doing services and you start experimenting with this, is that you might find the direction you thought you wanted to go into mm-hmm. has changed. You know, mm-hmm. either you thought you wanted products, but there's something about this productized service that gets you into a higher level problem than you'd mm-hmm. been solving. You might go in that direction or you might get so enamored with building products that you go in the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've got one student who said to me, you know, product is lonely. You know, <laughs> she doesn't want to, she's not as attracted yeah. to product because she likes the, yeah. she likes the live interaction with clients, you know? So uh, anyway, so I think that um, if folks want more examples, they can certainly go to that, can go to the show notes and there'll be a link to uh, the list that I have. And there's probably about, I'd say there's about 12 different ones, including four that are entire lists of productized services. So and there are examples from, you know, design, marketing, um, software development, of course, uh, DevOps. So there, there are lots of different examples there that you can go and, and look for something to inspire you. Um, yeah. If, and don't if, just look at whatever your specialty is. Look and get ideas from others because there's some great ideas in there. I, I Yeah. And additionally, I think sometimes when you when you see things that are examples from your own space, you're much more skeptical of them like ah, that won't work because you're kind of like you're behind the curtain. Um, and if you go and look at one that's outside of your space, you might be like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> because <laughs> exactly. You're not an expert at marketing or design or software development. And and you're like, wow, you know, the software ones those don't make sense, but this one, this would be amazing. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, but your buyers don't do what you do. They don't know what you know. They're, they're the, the noob, like they don't know how to make aspirin. They know how to take aspirin. So curse of expertise. mm -hmm, Right. Yeah. So check it out. I think, uh, I'm, I'm super bullish on productized services, you know, to the, um, with the caveat that I do think there are some spaces or types of organizations where it, um, it could be a mistake strategically if you think what Blair called it was he was when he was doing it, he had a foot in both worlds where he was trying to do high ticket value priced consulting work. But also he had these productized offerings and he, he said, I found it it's, felt like I was in the mushy middle. Yeah. And because the organization was getting pulled in two different directions because there wasn't a it wasn't an overarching strategy. It was just like he was randomly pat not randomly, but he was patch, packaging up his expertise in a variety of ways with no long-term strategy for like what what's the direction that we're going in are we going down market or are we going up market and he was doing both at the same time so of course you're like you're like pulling yeah. in two different directions well and and you know his his firm is really known for the trainings that they do and i mm-hmm. think it's really hard to be a strategist and to be a trainer as a small firm simultaneously i think mm-hmm. you have to pick a lane yeah, that's exact. That's pretty much exactly what he said. Yeah. So f- folks can check that episode out too. We can probably link to that as well. I don't know. We might be out of links. <laughs> so yeah, we have a bunch of links on this episode. Cool. But but yeah, I, I'm I'm bullish on this. I think it's a great approach 
uh, as a transition move for sure. But you could you could just sit there. You know, I know plenty of people who make great a great living just with productized services. Yeah. Well, there's also a. There can be a season for people where productized services are the perfect solution. The season being there's something else going on in your life and you need to de-stress as much of your business as you can. Hmm, um, whether it's your kids are a certain age or you have a, an ailing parent or whatever it is, there, there are some advantages. So oh, sometimes it's point. just for a season. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a great way to create leverage for sure. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah. Look around, see if you get inspired, um, spin something up. And if you have a sales page up and you want us to take a look, I'd be happy to, you know, just yeah. I'm always looking for more examples. Yeah. Be cool. fun. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And then I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.